we read from Daniel chapter 4, and we have a long reading, verses 1 through 3. <laughs> so most of you can make that. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you so much for the word of God, which is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, which abides forever, which teaches us truth about you, And Father, as we come tonight to look into this king's testimony of what he has learned from you, I ask, Father, that you would as well meet with us. Father, change us from the inside out. May we see you for who you are and realize the power that is in your hands. Lord, we ask for this. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, I had thought as we were going to get into this section that, well, we'll do another long section and, you know, like we did in chapter 3, and I just never really got beyond these first three verses. Um, and this is, to some degree, this is normal. We have the narrative of God's working with Nebuchadnezzar in uh, verses 4, uh, boy, all the way up to 33, and then he'll have a closing argument in uh, 34 on and uh, to 37, so another three verses at the end. And what happens, we'll get into this more next week, but just to give it to you quickly, if you can remember from your childhood and reading the the stories, is he has a a dream. And in his dream, there is a tree that that sprouts up and it, it grows to be a huge tree and it fills the earth. And an angel comes down and is commanded to bind the tree and to cut it down. And so he binds the tree with a band, he cuts it down, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar's wondering, what does this dream mean? And, it, you know, he's, this is his second dream that he's received from the Lord. And again, he, this time he remembers the dream. You remember last time he didn't remember the dream, and he actually ordered the execution of the wise men in his ten, temper tantrum. <laughs> uh, as they can't, re, they can't tell him what the dream is, he says, oh, go kill him. And God used this to elevate Daniel, and then he used the, uh, the king turning to this idol to elevate Daniel's three friends, to show him who God was. And yet through all of this, Daniel, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, I'm sorry, King Nebuchadnezzar has not turned to God. Now, it, it might help us if we go back and we think about what his knowledge of God is like. The pagan knowledge of God is that each God, they would have a God for every different thing. Like in Egypt, they had a God of the Nile. They had a God of the sun. They had a God of, of grazing and, and animals. They had a God in, uh, with the 10 plagues actually are against each one of the gods of Egypt as God sim- uh, systematically shows his power over all of the false gods. And so it is here. Uh, and so it was through most of the ancient world, they had gods that they believed were in charge of different areas. And then under them were, were little gods, demigods, that would be in charge of other littler things within their, within their care. And it was how they saw the world. And so if you look at King Nebuchadnezzar, and you go back, um, go back to chapter 2, verses 46 through 49... 
And this might help you to understand a little bit of what he takes away from this. He says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, since he could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many gifts, and it goes on. Uh, and Daniel petitioned the king, and he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of Babylon. So there's some really good points here. He sees him as God of, um, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings. And I, you know, when I read that the first time and we talked about it, I concentrated on that in my minds. And yet I look at the way De- uh, Nebuchadnezzar continues on, and I think that the, the key here is this next phrase, and a revealer of secrets. You know, he saw him as the God of the hidden things. He, he could reveal the future of what was to come. He recognized that there was a power that he was a true God, not just a, a fake God, but that he was a true God. But I don't know that he really believed that he was God of God's that he was the one in charge of everybody. Because you see, immediately he goes out and he builds this this statue, this image that's, you know, monstrously tall, and he commands everybody to worship it. And uh, if you go down to uh, uh, Daniel chapter 3, verse 29, you can see his second lesson from the Lord. He says, therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego shall be cut to pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Again, there's some beautiful thoughts there. He says, there's no other God who can deliver like this. But there's something missing as well in his, uh, in his response to this God to please God, we're going to pull down people's houses and we're going to burn them over their head and we're going to make them an ash heap. If you say anything against the God of Israel, instead of loving your enemies, instead of preaching the gospel, instead of, you know, I just, I just don't see this coming from the Lord. This is how he saw his authority. And if you speak against me and you speak against my authority, we will kill you and we will pull down your house and we will burn it over your heads. And I'm gonna give God the same honor as I give, give myself. Um, we could go on and talk about, you know, Nehemiah, it was a death sentence to, to be depressed in the presence of the king because you were, you were supposedly there with this exalted person And so you should be filled with joy just at the ability to serve in his presence no matter what happened in your life, (laughs) no matter how you slept or didn't sleep. It should fill you with joy. So you had to fake it really well. Um, But this is how the pagans looked at God. What we want to talk tonight about is meeting God, meeting God. Because Nebuchadnezzar is going to have his third meeting with God, and it's going to change him. And this has been a, a thought that's been on my heart for a long time. You know, when, you, when, a, when a person meets with the Lord, does he change? The answer is obviously yes. It has to be. 
there are there are internal changes and there are external changes. What was dead is alive. And whether you you know you might not see a lot of change in the size of the body, but you know if you think of a dead baby versus a live baby, one that's still born and one that's born alive, you might not see a lot of change in the size. But there's certainly a change in the behavior. There is an immediate knowledge that the one is correct and the other one something is majorly wrong with. The one breathes, the one cries, the one has responses. The one has desires, it has a a personality that comes out. And the other one just lays there. And of course, time is the uh, is the final arbitrator of this. We, we see in truth in time, the one is dead and will rot if it stays there, and the other one will grow. The other one needs food and needs care and it will grow and continue on. So we want to look at this, and we want to look at this as uh, Nebuchadnezzar meeting God, and we want to look at each time we meet God, I believe there is a change. We looked at... Uh, some of the changes, we have a new heart as a Christian. God puts a new heart within us, a heart that desires righteousness. That's why the battle starts after you become a Christian, not before. Before you're a Christian, you don't want to get caught in your sins, but you know, if I can steal the cookie and no one knows who did it, I can blame it on my brother. I stole the cookie. <laughs> it didn't bother me much at all. But after I came to know the Lord... It bothered me that I had gotten away with a lie. It bothered me that I had gotten away with stealing something, and I wanted to make it right. There was a change in the heart. This, of course, is from God. There's a change in our position, too. We were part of the kingdom of darkness. Now we've been translated, and we're part of the kingdom of life. We have been sealed with the Spirit. We're in union with Christ and God. That's going to produce a change in our life. I have this verse later on in my lesson, but we could look at it real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Uh, here it is. Uh, but we all, and just kind of let this one think in your mind, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Okay, what Paul is talking about here, if you go back into this whole epistle of 2 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 12, uh, he says, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who had to put a veil over his face uh, because the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. Remember, after he met with God, his face glowed, And as he walked out, they were terrified of him, and so he put a veil on. And it says here, he put the veil on because they could not look at what was passing away. Even the temporary glory was amazing. And, I, you know, it appears to be from that, that when he would go into the Lord, he would come out and he would shine. And then as time went on, that glory would pass away. And then as he returned, there would be a, Possibly an increase in that shining again. Um, And he says in verse 14, but their minds were blinded. Israel's minds were blinded. They saw the reality of God, and yet when Moses went up to the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, how long did it take for them to fall into sin? 
under 40 days, under a month and a quarter for them to go from hearing God on Mount Sinai to sin. Their minds were blinded, for until this day that same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. Now he turns this into an allegory. They could not see God. They could not hear God. And he says that same veil has remained until this day. They're looking at the shadow of things, the temple and the offering and all of that. He says the veil is taken away in Christ. That's when we find who was the perfect sacrifice, who was the Passover lamb, who was What did the sacrifices represent? Why was the tabernacle built the way it was with only one door, one way in, had to go through the judgment, the the sin offering, and then came in and offered offerings there in the presence, then behind that was the Holy of Holies. Why all of this? Well, we understand it's it's pictures of Jesus Christ. Um, Nevertheless, verse 16, when one turns to the Lord, that veil is taken away. Now the Spirit, now the Lord is a Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Okay, we, we know truth. When the Spirit of the Lord comes, He will teach us. He will teach us of Christ. He will teach us all things. There's going to be growth. Just like a child, you're going to see small bits of growth over time. It says, but we, with an, and then it continues on, in verse 18, but we, with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, as we look at Christ through the word of God, it's, it's like seeing a mirror of the, of the glory of God, and as we study him and we understand him, what happens? It says we are being transformed. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. See, when someone meets with the Lord, there's going to be changes. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar has had two, uh, well, yeah, two meetings with the Lord, but they've been at a distance. The one was a dream that he couldn't remember, and in it, he sees the God of Israel as the God who reveals secrets. He knows the future. He knows the past but I don't know if he put it together that God is the one who was controlling the future. And in his second one, he sees the God of Israel as the one who can deliver from the fire. Boy, he can can preserve those who put their trust in him. And that's pretty amazing. You know, the the local gods didn't really care about their people. You know, I, I talked about it this morning in Africa when when uh, there's a drought, the people think, well, we must have offended God, and they offer sacrifices. They burn the grass that's left. And it's given as a sacrifice to their gods. You know, and that's the way the pagan gods are. They always want more. That's not the Lord, though. The Lord is the God who's in control of everything. There's nothing that we can offer God. You can't pay the price for the soul, You can't make atonement for sin. Only Jesus Christ could do that. So Nebuchadnezzar has has seen God, but he's not met God. And I think this is partly because of his pride. You know, here's the king who's, he's the head of gold. And, you know, even God has said, "You're you're in charge of the whole earth. You're the king of kings. And so his his heart is lifted up, and instead of coming to Daniel and saying, Daniel, tell me about your God, he thinks, I'm okay. 
Look at what my gods have done. They've given me the whole world. The king, I'm the king of kings. Look what I have done. And so God will judge him. And this is what we're reading here in Daniel chapter 4 is this, this judgment that comes off on Nebuchadnezzar. And he starts off, Daniel 4, he starts off with a letter he writes and Daniel puts it into his, his book of remembrances. This is actually written by King Nebuchadnezzar. And he writes it down because he sees it as that important. It was something that God did. Now, there's so many pieces here that I just love. And we could start right at the beginning. God's goal uh, for the Jews was to do what? Anyone want to take a stab at that? We've talked about this the last couple of weeks. There's a word that starts with a W. All right. Well, you all get a C for the day. (laughs) Uh, Witness. They were to be his witness to all the nations, were they not? They were to be his witness for all the people, that they would see the Jews and they would see the God of Israel through the life of Israel, that there is no people that has such good laws. There's no people that has such a good uh, nation that would do these things, that would not support slavery, that would not uh, go in offensive warfare, that would take care of the stranger, that had programs for the widow, that, that took in the homeless, all of these things. And it was all to be a testimony for the God of Israel. But Israel turned away. Israel forsook God. Israel blasphemed, caused the name of the Lord to be blasphemed wherever they went. And that includes into the day of Christ. They were were known as a people that hated the nations around them, that despised the Gentiles, the whole world. If you weren't a Jew, you weren't anything. You want to talk about racist or prejudice? That was them. A witness for the Lord to bring glory to God? Uh Uh-uh. A people full of hatred, full of contention. And so God is punishing them, and in the punishment, he calls out these four young men. But his job has never changed. The job that God gives to each one of us is to be a witness for him, is it not? And these four young men are brought into Babylon, and God gives them the desire to be special, to be pure before the Lord. Daniel purposes in his heart that he won't defile himself. And what do we see happen? We see God lifting them up and putting them in a position of authority. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come underneath him. And then we see again God drawing another line as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are taken and said, bow down to this statue. And they say, Lord, King, we're not, we're not going to bow. We're not even careful in how we answer you. Our God is able, and even if he doesn't, we will not bow. And so he throws them into the fiery furnace, and what does he find? There is a God who is able, right, to deliver. He sees the fourth one like the Son of God walking within the furnace, and the fire has no effect on him. And he brings him out, and he's met God for the second time. But again, his, he's not pursuing God. He's the natural man. You know, and it's, I think all too often, even in our lives, there are people who look at something God has done in their life. They see, a, they see that they were healed from a disease. They see that they prayed, you know, almost in an accident. They cried out, God help me, and somehow the accident didn't happen. 
Or maybe they didn't even know they were in an accident. They see, you know, they're the only car unhit and everybody else around them is total. And they go, well, God's on my side. And it's not that. God has given them mercy. He's extended mercy to them. But, you know, just seeing God is not enough. You have to know who God is. You have to have a real meeting with the Lord. And this is what happens to King Nebuchadnezzar in this dream. He has a real meeting with God. God is no longer dealing through Daniel. He's no longer dealing through Daniel's three friends. He's now going directly to the source. And he's telling Nebuchadnezzar, it's time. You must bow before me. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to be taught. And I love these first three verses because of what he says. First of all, Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth. Okay, you look at this and you go, well, you know, that's just the introduction. Yeah. <laughs> what was God's purpose again for Israel? I'm going to test you and see if you can remember for, you know, three minutes later. It started with a W. What was it? They were to be his witnesses. To who? To all the people on the face of the earth. Who did Nebuchadnezzar just write to? Oh, does God need to use his people or can he raise up a pagan king? His people turn against him. And God just reaches out and says, all right, I've got four young men who want to be pure. Let's put them in positions of power. Let's, let's do this. And this is all in his plan. Nothing's ever been out of his control. He uses the, the, the trials and the temptation to raise these men up to prepare a place for him so that his name is known. And now he comes to deal with the king. And at the conclusion of the dealing with the king, the very first thing we see the king doing is what? Word with a W again. Witnessing, right? He's witnessing. He immediately sits down and writes a letter. And he says, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Now, what does he say after that? Let me just guess, okay? Let me, let me just based on what he, what he said before. If you say anything against the God of Israel, I'm going to kill you and pull your house down around you and burn it till there's nothing but ash that remains. Mm -mm. What does he say? Peace. <laughs> that word he didn't know. <laughs> he didn't know it. But see, I mean, look at... Look at the change that has happened to this man as God gets a hold of him. Peace be multiplied to you. Okay, I have to tell you, I think we'll see King Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. I'm not positive of that. I can't tell if God truly saved his heart, but you look at the change that happens in his life. You know, there was an acknowledging that there is a God before, but now there's a complete turnaround he realizes just who this God is and as God deals with him as a sinner. And he finds out that, you know, being the emperor and the king of all the earth doesn't gain him any special privileges with God. Not a one. God is in control and he is not. God is the sovereign and he is not. And it changes his whole attitude. He has met with the Lord and he wants to tell others. 
He has a new heart. Look at what he continues on to say. He says, I thought it good to declare to you, to declare the signs and wonders that the most high God has worked for me. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Here he is witnessing and he's, you know, and again, you can, we're gonna go through this next week, but is this, a, is this a story that builds up Nebuchadnezzar and makes him look great and mighty and wonderful? No, he goes out for seven periods of time. We don't know if it was weeks, years, whatever, and he, he lives like an animal. You know, his, his fingernails grow into be almost like claws and his hair grows long and is matted and, you know, he's insane. God has humbled him. And now he comes out on the other side as a humble man. As a humble man. I thought it good to declare the signs and the wonders that the most high God has worked for me. You know, even his understanding of these signs, God didn't just do it to him. He did it for him. He looked and he saw this this trial and this thing that he had passed through and he says, it was for me. How many times, you know, do we see our problems and it's like at the beginning, especially, we look at all the problems in this life and we go, oh, they're just, you know, I'm gonna get overwhelmed. I've got all these things and they're, you know, and afterwards we look back and we see that they were molding us. They were pruning us. They were teaching us to trust in the Lord. They were showing us the love of the brethren. There was just all sorts of things going on. And we realize those troubles weren't to us. They were for us. They were on our side. They were helping us. It was God conforming us to the image of his son, as Romans 8.29 would say. You see, once we're saved, God starts to work in our life. And he works in different rates and different people. But there will be a change. There will be a desire to change, a desire to live right. And Nebuchadnezzar has this new heart. He is being, as 1 Corinthians 3.18 said, he is being transformed. He's a, it's not a finished process, is it? We all... We have this new principle of life within us, but just like a baby grows, we grow and we are being changed. We are being changed from the inside out as we grow. Um, I thought of two other examples, and I just want to talk about them real briefly. The first one was Job. There is always a change when we meet God. And it's a beautiful change. Job was a man who was righteous in all his ways. God could give the testimony of Job that there was none like him on the face of this earth. You want to know how righteous Job was? That's, that's quite the testimony. When God can look at you and say, have you noticed my servant Job? There's none like him in all the face of the earth. That's a testimony. And yet when, when his troubles take him, he doesn't sin with his mouth until his friends come. Once his friends start blaming his sin, you know, blaming his troubles on his sin, saying, well, you know, God never punishes the innocent, so you must have sinned. We don't know what it is, 
but you, you obviously have sin in your life. And then Job starts to question God. And he starts to say, oh, I wish that there was a mediator who could stand between and judge between God and me. And he starts to question whether or not God is right in what he does. How often is that for us too? Is God right in taking my family? Hard question, isn't it? Especially for those of us who have lost loved ones. God is always right though. And God doesn't even answer Job by giving him reasons. He just comes and he shows him, I am God. Where were you when when the foundations of the earth were laid? Where were you when I balanced the seas and the land? Where were you when I set the stars in heaven? Where were you? Can you do this? Can you tell the the sea where to stop? Can you bind the Leviathan? Can you do this? Can you do that? Can you? And he points out that he is God and Job is not. Job is dust. And at the end, Job says and answered the Lord, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? That was God's description of Job. When he said, why God, why? I need a judge. He said, counsel without knowledge. Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. What's he mean by that? He's opened his mouth to talk about God. He has taken it upon himself to think that he could critique God. God is too wonderful. He shouldn't have even opened his mouth. He said, I I uttered things I did not know. He says, listen, please, and let me speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. That's the form of the debate. I have heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Hmm, not a lot of questions left, is there? He just says, now I've seen you, and now that I've seen you, I know you, and he's been transformed. He's had an understanding of who God is. And he abhors himself in dust and ashes. One of the characteristics that we get out of a true meeting with God is it humbles us. You start to realize that God is altogether different than us. There are ways. uh, There's two categories that they have. They have uh, the communicable attributes of God and those that are intrinsically his, the the non-communicable those that you can't communicate them to you. God is the only one that it was ever eternal. No beginning, no end. God is a spirit. Uh, God knows everything. Will there ever come a time when any of us know everything? No, don't think there will. We will have a lot of our questions answered as we know the Lord, but we will be learning about him for eternity, learning the depths of him. We won't know all of him ever. He's infinite in his wisdom, infinite in his power, infinite in his knowledge. Man will never be that in any of it. We will always be under the limit of God. So these are things that we cannot know. Job understands that and he acknowledges, I'm just a clay vessel here on this earth. I uttered what I did not know. My mouth ran away from me. 
and I abhor myself, I repent in dust and ashes. That was meeting with the Lord. The other one is uh, Moses that I think of. Moses changes, and it's not as drastic as Job, but Moses changes as he meets with God in Exodus 32 uh, through 33 when Israel sins. At the beginning of Israel's sin, he uses a verse that we've been talking about. He says, yet now, if you will not forgive their sin, if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written in heaven. Now, the way I see that is Moses is coming to God and he's trying to twist God's arm. If you're not going to forgive them, you blot me out of your book. And there is, a, there is a rashness in that, thinking that man can control God, that he can tell God what he has to do. And God replies, whoever sinned against me, him I will blot out of my book. He's a just God. He doesn't let sin go unpunished. It will be punished. And then in the next chapter, the whole of the next chapter, Moses is, is talking, teach me your ways. Then he says, show me your glory. And our time gets away from us, but in show me his glory, that's uh, 33, 15 through 20. He said, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. How then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing which I have spoken. For you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my glory to pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And this is what he says. He's gonna repeat this later. This is repeated twice, uh, both in 33 and in 34. He says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. That's what he describes as his glory. It is the glory of God to forgive sins. And the glory of God is the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ as he pays for our sins, according to 2 Corinthians 4, 4, and 6. That's the glory of God. And God says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion, and on whom I will have compassion. You listen again in 34, Exodus 34, 5 and 10. It says, Now the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with them there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in truth and goodness, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, forgiving the but visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now we see the change in Moses. So Moses made haste and bowed his head to the earth and he worshiped and he said, if I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us. Even now, we are a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your inheritance. What a different attitude. Now he's understand that God is the one who rules. God is the one who chooses who he will forgive, who he will not forgive. And Moses comes before him after after seeing this glory of the Lord revealed that God is the God who can choose who to forgive. 
And all he can do is beseech God. You forgive, please. You forgive. And God does. He would not be bullied into it. But he agrees to go with Moses and that his presence would not leave the children of Israel and that they would be his people. Does it mean that the individuals were cleared of their sin? I don't believe so. But it was at least covered for a time that Israel could continue on. I look at this and I was just so excited because this man, this pagan king, is doing what Israel was supposed to do and what they failed to do through all their years. He is proclaiming God. He concludes in verse 3, before he gets into the account, he says, How great are your signs, are his signs, and how mighty his wonder. He's in worship. He looks up and he extols the God of heaven. And he says, everything he does, it's great, it's mighty, it's powerful. It's no longer that he's just the God who reveals secrets and he can deliver his followers if they're right with him. And, you know, I mean, that's pretty amazing as it was. But now all his signs are wonderful, all his mighty wonders. Then he continues on. His kingdom is what? An everlasting kingdom. Hmm. Up until there, who did he think was in charge of the kingdom? (laughs) I'm the king of the whole earth. Oops. This is the king of the universe. (laughs) His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And his dominion is from generation to generation. It's through all times. Nobody can touch the Lord. This is our God. And I'm just encouraged because God doesn't need many. He took four young boys, (laughs) put them in a position so that they could tell this pagan king about the God of Israel so that the God of Israel could meet with the pagan king. And the immediate change we see in his heart is he becomes the, starts with a W, the witness for God to all the people on all the earth. And we could add to it for all time because God wrote his words down in his book so that all of us could hear them and understand. Here's a man that's met with God and he's seen God for who he is and it has changed him. He's being transformed into the image of his son day by day. Let's stand as we close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we come before you tonight, and Lord, we just ask that you would continue to work in the hearts and the lives of each one of us, transforming us into the image of your Son, conforming us to the image, to his image, and to your will for your glory. Father, we ask that you would help this church to stand for you and to bring glory to your name. Father, we don't understand always how it will come, might be through trouble, and trials, and persecution, or or whatever. But Lord, this is our job. This is what you have called us to do. And Father, may we stand strong, whatever comes for you. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.